And what is going on, guys? Welcome to the fourth episode of the Mike Bartner Show. We are not live if you're watching this later. Something happened with the live stream. For some reason, it wasn't letting me schedule it. I don't know what's happening with that. On Tuesday, I'm going to figure it out because we had two successful live shows after the first debacle. But today's going to be a pretty loaded show. Obviously, I only did one show this week. So we actually have some pretty decent topics within the hockey world considering we're in the offseason instead of me doing two shows a week like previously where I'd have to kind of pick and choose stories. We have a full week of hockey things, and especially given the, the headline of this show, the Mike Babcock situation, we're going to have a lot to dive into today, and I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to go through the Babcock situation. We're going to go through the two Canadian captains. That feels like a month ago that Adam Lowry and Quinn Hughes were announced. Uh, Atlanta 3.0 is apparently happening. There was an interview with uh, the Deputy Commissioner, Bill Daly. We're going to go over that. And then at the end, you saw on my Instagram, if you follow me there or on Twitter, I did ranking every East Con- Eastern Conference team's starting goalie. We're going to do that in the West. We're going to break it down fully. So without further ado, let's get into the Mike Babcock stuff. This comes from Jack Brownlee. Hey, Mike, wanted to get your thoughts on the Babcock situation. Their organization and PR shot it down, but now the NHLPA is saying some guys were uncomfortable with Babcock. Do you think he'll get fired? So yeah, this this obviously has been the story of the week on, uh, what was it, Tuesday or Wednesday? Spin and Chicklets released this clip, basically going in depth on Mike Babcock, allegedly asking various Blue Jackets players to see their phones, then airplaying their photos on his office TV. Obviously, a pretty serious claim. That's a, that's a pretty big invasion of privacy. And Spin and Chicklets really held their ground and said, yeah, we had multiple players come tell us this, both current Blue Jacket players as well as former Leafs and Red Wings players being like Babcock's doing his old stuff. So when you look at this situation, obviously the Columbus Blue Jackets immediately denied it. There was this whole PR statement Meeting with our players, I asked them to share their phones. All fam- this is from Babcock, family pictures, as a part of the process to get them know better, which seems pretty standard. Then Boone Jenner said that Babcock basically asked him about his family and wanted to see pictures of his family. So from the Blue Jackets' perspective, PR perspective, they, they released a statement. And I think with Boone Jenner, my personal two cents is... I think with some of the older guys, he probably did just want to get to know their family because he's not going to go after Boone Jenner when he's on the job for two months. So I do think there is some validity to this PR statement. But again, I just have a hard time thinking that Spitting Chicklets would make this up out of nowhere. And especially when you consider the history of a guy like Mike Babcock. So like most things, I don't think Babcock maybe did it to the extent that Paul Bissonette was saying, but I don't, I'm not ready to exonerate Babcock as a whole, given his reputation. And Biz really didn't back down. Biz tweeted out to this PR statement. He said, tell Babs to knock off the bull. I'm not going to curse on YouTube. Enough with putting guys on the spot in the coaching room, asking them to link their phones up to airplay mode and grilling them. I've had a ton of players confirm it. Smarten the er up, Babs. Shove your statement up his arse. So yeah, they're not backing down. And, and, and if I'm Paul Bissonette and I'm getting these sources from these players, I wouldn't back down either because... Smitchuk has got a lot of hate for this. And if you're going to do such a bold claim, you better have legit sources or else rightfully so you're going to get called out on your bullshit. So it looks like they're not backing down right now. And now the NHL is really looking into it. Obviously, the Players it's players Association, we're going to look into this. But now there's kind of some legitimacy to the claim that recently came out. This was from last night from Elliot Friedman 
Uh, Marty Walsh and the players, uh, player executive director, Ron Hainsey, legendary player, uh, had a meeting with the Blue Jackets. It was described as intense at following the story from Paul Bissonnette. They were satisfied with the explanations from Boone Jenner and Johnny Goudreau. However, it appears that things changed for the for both later that night when information was received that some of the younger Blue Jackets players were uncomfortable with what had happened. That appears to be the major focus of the investigation. And then it just goes on to say that they're cooperating. They have their uh, prospect horny this weekend. And at the bottom, Babcock has done similar stuff, whether it be in Detroit or Toronto. So... That, that, that's kind of what I always thought. I, I never really thought that he was grilling Boone Jenner, the captain that's been there for 10 years. But when you look at what he did in Toronto, what he did in Detroit, it makes sense that a, that a coach in that po- position of power would go after some of the young guys and try to like basically bully them, instill in them that I'm the guy. You got to like smarten up. You got to you, you operate under me. I am your superior. It's not a collaboration. I am the supreme leader. So... When looking at this, maybe you look at some of their young guys, were, were they grilled by Mike Babcock? I think it's perfectly reasonable, especially when you look at a situation with him, with him in Toronto, Mike Babcock, the Mitch Marner situation. This, this, this does not help Babcock's case when you realize that Marner, in his rookie year, was asked to list out who he, think, who he thought the laziest players on the Toronto Maple Leafs were that season, and... Wait, let me, let me just pull this up. Uh, he was asked, on a father's trip, he was asked to list the laziest players on the Toronto Maple Leafs from an effort level. He put himself last, which you kind of got to respect. But when he showed Babcock the list, Babcock then went to Nazem Kadri and Tyler Bozak, who were also like apparently kind of low on the list, and showed them. So his like rookie hazing, Babcock, literally just went to players and basically said, Marner called you lazy, even though Marner didn't want to do that goddamn exercise. He did it again. Babcock made him do it. Obviously, he was going to put himself last, and he had to put some people at the bottom. So you look at Babcock. He has this tyrannical, borderline abusive history in his past with some of these young guys. So I do think it is possible that you look at an Adam Fantilli, you look at a Kent Johnson, a Krill Marchenko. I wouldn't be surprised if Bob Babcock pulled one of these things. I'm not saying that he did it, but that does kind of fit in with his narrative that maybe he tried to exert his will and kind of show dominance over these guys by being like, let me see your goddamn phone. Like, no funny business anymore. This is unacceptable or stuff like that. So I think it's perfectly reasonable. And just another Babcock incident that I want to bring up is Johan Franzen literally said that Mike Babcock was the worst person he had ever met. Johan Franzen obviously played for the Red Wings for basically his entire career from like 2005 to like 2013, 2014. And this is a quote from Franzen. He described Babcock as a great coach, but he was the terrible, the worst person he's ever met. He's a bully who attacks people. It was, couldn't be cleaner. Wait, um, it couldn't be clearer at the arena or in Detroit or anyone else. He would lay into people without any reason. And according to Chris Chelios, Babcock once blatantly verbally assaulted Franzen during the game on a, on the bench, and it got to the point well, where Johan, without, without anybody knowing that he was already suffering from a concussion and depression, broke down and had a nervous breakdown on the bench and after the game in the dressing room. So you look at Mike Babcock. He is a guy that absolutely rides players, doesn't care about like societal norms, mental health, all that stuff. So you have this guy and now you have the players association coming out and saying, yeah, some of the players were pretty, 
uncomfortable with what he did, I think I'm probably going to more so believe that the young players might have been, and maybe it wasn't like a straight through the phone, but did Babcock probably grill them intentionally and said, yo, show me your phone. Let me see some of these pictures. I don't think that he was going to like throw anybody off the team over it, but it definitely was something that made them uncomfortable. So in the coming days, we're going to have to see how this goes. And in today's NHL, a more player-driven league, you can't do this kind of crap, especially if you're Babcock. This isn't 2009 Babcock coming off a Stanley Cup. He doesn't have that pedigree. He's he's on his fourth job now, and after being out of the league for three years, I don't know why he thought, if this is the case, why he thought that he could pull this stuff, but it seems like maybe he hasn't learned. I I honestly, I mean, like, I hope, I hope this is still not true just because I don't want the players to go through this. But right now I I, I would lean towards something did happen between Babcock and maybe some of the younger players, but we're going to have to find out. We're going to have to find out. We got to let the NHLPA do their full investigation. And I'm really looking forward to it as to, I think the question asked, do I think he's going to get fired? If it does, if it does come out and one player says, yeah, he took my phone. He went through my pictures and then he grilled me. I think I think given the history, I think he might have to be fired. It'll be a disaster because Columbus brought this guy in. I don't know why. They knew that they knew that this might have happened. This might this would probably happen. So, but I think there's so much public pressure. This story has not really died down since Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it dropped. So I think if we actually get some serious findings in this, if there's a guy willing to speak up. I wouldn't be surprised if Babcock is fired with it by, by the end of next week. It wouldn't be that surprising. But moving on, a more a more uh, positive topic. We got some new Canadian captains. Uh, Andrew Finnegan writes in, this week we got two new captains in the NHL. Definitely untraditional picks with Lowry and Hughes, but just wanted your thoughts on it. Let me just take a little sip of my coffee. So yeah, the, there was 10 captaincy vacancies Heading into this year, we just got two filled, obviously, Quinn Hughes and Adam Lowry. And yeah, a little bit of untraditional picks. Quinn Hughes is obviously a stud, but he's a very soft-spoken guy, so maybe that was surprising. Uh, That you didn't really see coming. I'll get into that more. And Adam Lowry, a third liner, not your best player, but I do like the picks. Looking at Quinn Hughes first, I mean, you look at this guy's resume, and He's another stud. He is a franchise defenseman, probably top 40 player in the entire league. 241 points, 283 games. That's insane for a defenseman. Fastest defenseman to ever hit 200 assists in NHL history. He's received Norris votes three out of four years. Led rookies in assists and points as a defenseman. He's he's a franchise defenseman. He might not be the most talked about, outspoken guy in the league like from a vocal leadership standpoint, but sometimes... Leaders don't have to be the guy that yells dogs at a teammate. It can be a more soft-spoken approach. I know in my experience, sometimes the louder, more vocal coaches that I've had in the past are not that good of leaders because when you're just yelling and so passionate, sometimes it goes over your head versus a more soft-spoken guy that like when they do speak up, you sh- you shut the hell up. You know what I'm saying? Like like that that soft guy that just sits in the locker room and like is just to himself a good guy overall, but like the one time that he blows up or the one time that he like gets on you, you're like, I, I captain, like I am not, I am not messing with that. So I think with Quinn Hughes, especially given the fact he's only 23, I think he's really going to grow into this. And another reason why I think this is the right pick is it was obviously going to be between Hughes and Pedersen. I don't think I'm like shocking anybody with that. After Bo Horvat left, they weren't going to give it to, they weren't going to give it to JT Miller because he's had his 
media fiasco is not the most likable guy uh might be traded i don't know like like it was between quinn hughes and petterson and you look at petterson and reports come out that he's not sure about his future he's probably going to end up signing some type of deal in vancouver just because he's a restricted free agent but reports came out that the length of his deal or whether he'll resign is going to have a lot to do with team success. In terms of my captain, as much as I do respect Pedersen for saying that, because that, that is like the truth, let's be honest. I respect like the reports from Elliot Freeman coming out like that. That's more relatable than I want to be a Vancouver Canuck forever. Like I can understand why he wants to win, but as a captain, as a PR move, you're going to you're going to give the captaincy to the guy that has four more years left on his deal and has seemed to be like bled Vancouver, although might, might head to the Devils eventually, but he's been all about the Vancouver Canucks since he arrived and has term on his deal versus a Pedersen guy where you give, he has one year left on his deal. You give him the captaincy. Imagine you stink and then he wants out and you have a one year captain. That would be, that'd be worse than like the Mark Giordano captains captaincy that literally lasted like 50 games. So I think it is the right call. Uh, they don't have any, I, I really the Winnipeg Jets, we'll get into that with the third liner, but I don't think there was anybody even deeper in the lineup that really deserved that from Vancouver because they've had a lot of roster turnover over the past couple of years. So it was obviously between Hughes and Pedersen, maybe Demko, but I, he wanted out at one point. So I think Quinn Hughes is definitely the right choice in terms of the next five years. It's a solid pick. In terms of Adam Lowry, I also like the Adam Lowry one. In my opinion, he's one of the toughest most physical centers in the entire league. He sets the tone on that third line, that third line checking line. And he's actually a pretty decent player. He's he's pretty underrated. He's He consistently is just a solid two-way guy. He's not going to give you 50 plus points, 25 plus goals, but he's good for like 30 to 35 to 40 points. And again, he keeps that effort high and he's been drafted by Winnipeg. He's a Winnipeg lifer. So you want that guy to kind of be your captain going into that next stage. And like with Winnipeg, obviously you weren't going to give the seat up Connor Hellebuck or Mark Shifley. They're under, they're expiring uh, UFAs. Josh Morrissey would have been a solid pick. He's been there for a while, but I think in terms of what I've seen from the community before he was announced as a captain, the community, the teams, the fans, Adam Lowry is arguably the most respected guy in that locker room. And sometimes the best player doesn't have to be captain. I look back to my New York Islanders. Lee's the captain. He's not the best player. Uh, Andy Green was the devil's captain for like a decade. He was a very good captain. Wasn't their best player. Jordan Stahl is the Hurricanes captain. He's like their third line center at this point, similar to Adam Lowry. So I don't think you need to... You don't need to have your best player be the captain. Uh, one point that I did see that does make a lot of sense is my good friend Alyssa Hood said, sometimes with Winnipeg, it happened with Blake Wheeler. Sometimes they play their captains more ice time because he's captain, because they like want to respect him. And he's like arguably the face of the, not the face of the franchise, but like he's the most respected guy within the franchise. So I can, I can see that from that perspective. If Adam Lowry is sniffing 16 minutes a night, gets like a boosted role, then maybe that's not that good, but I hope hopefully Rick Bonus, a guy that's been around for a long, long time, doesn't feel obligated to play Lowry more just because he's the captain. I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, we were, we're that, that, that's my only concern with it. But overall, I think it's a solid pick. Uh, maybe would have gotten Morrissey. Kyle Connor doesn't really scream captain to me. Uh, Ehlers didn't doesn't really scream captain. Maybe you could have waited into like Perfetti in three or four years, but yeah, you're not going to go four years without a captain. But overall, I think Adam Lowry has some term left on his deal. And even after that, he seems like a guy that's going to re-sign in Ottawa or 
Winnipeg. Uh, but it's solid. It's 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 Winnipeg, so it's like not that. Rem- it's it's pretty fitting that they give a the center to a third line center. But moving on, next question. This this really shocked me. This <laughs> I love it. I love it. Atlanta Thrashers 3.0. This comes from Jesse Zeiderveld. I saw a picture on Puck. I saw Punk at Bot. All right, let's restart that. This is from Jesse Zeiderveld. I saw Puck Empire post that the NHL is seriously considering a return to Atlanta. Please tell me this is a joke. No way they should get that third shot while Quebec City can't get a second. Technically, Quebec City, the Nordiques were their second shot. They had a team in like 1919, but I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Obviously, there has been some push towards Atlanta getting a team. There's been intense blowback, and I understand why people don't want a team in Atlanta because they've seen it multiple times. But when looking at this interview with Bill Daly that they do, and I've always said, I think an Atlanta team could potentially work. This this might sound crazy, but I do agree that there might be some market factors that have changed in the past couple of years that do make it more favorable versus when they were the Atlanta Flames versus when they were the Atlanta Thrashers. And let's look at that article right now so obviously greg winooski or however however you pronounce it did a very good article on this and in it bill daly said i think that there's some changes i think i think times have pretty changed pretty dramatically and the market demographics have changed pretty dramatically since the first time we went there and then again in 1990 i think a lot of bigger businesses are in atlanta now which does make sense and then he said the atlanta market is much different uh, he said the location of the, the rink will be key to success. He points to how they've used to play at the State Farm Arena with the Atlanta Hawks, and it was a mess. And also, when you look at the Atlanta Braves, they switched the, they switched fields. They built a new field, and it ended up being fantastic. And when you look at Atlanta, he is right. Since 1999, Atlanta has exploded massively. Looking at the Atlanta population, it was 3.3 million back in 1999, which is still a massive market, but now it's 6.1%. You look at that annual change percentage, it has been growing at about a 3% four, 3 to 4% rate on average since 1999. It has exploded in population. So as a result, it's the sixth biggest metro area in the entire United States. You compare that to like a Quebec City, which was 681,000 back in 1999 versus today, 844. It's only been growing at barely even 1%. So you look at it in terms of the market, the market has almost doubled in Atlanta for a potential team that is important when looking at an NHL franchise versus a Quebec City that has grown like 20 five, 30% at most, the Atlanta market is so much bigger and maybe now it could support a team. I'm not saying it's going to be like ever be a massive, massive success, but you look at some other Southern markets, this tweet from Grav really put it in perspective. Vegas was first in attendance. Nashville was fourth in attendance. Carolina was 10th. Tampa Bay was 11th. Dallas was 13th. Hockey has grown, especially in these untraditional markets, these Southern markets. So I think potentially going back to Atlanta could be successful when you consider that the first Atlanta time, they only made the playoffs, I believe, once in 12 years. As much as you want to say it, the success initially of an expansion team is essential to its success. If you have that track record, you could have put a team in a very, very good market and it wouldn't be that successful if you had one playoff success in 12 years. Capturing that initial market share by your team being good right off the rip instead of stinking for a decade, then maybe you get good. That is massive. You look at the Vegas Golden Knights. Do we think 
that if they first year were a bottom six team, then maybe bottom 10, then maybe bottom 15, then they were like a decent, okay playoff team. Do we think that they would be nearly as successful as today? No, right off the rip. Well, also if they were the first team in Vegas. So I guess that is a little bit different situation, but even Seattle second year, make the playoffs. The, the initial success is massive and Atlanta just had horrible ownership horrible management that ruined them in terms of a team. I think if you brought in a successful ownership group, as well as actually manage the team properly and can have some success right off the rip, I don't see again why maybe they won't be top five like Nashville and Vegas, but could they have solid attendance numbers? Could they, given the population of that market, draw decent revenue streams from either merchandise, TV, all that. I think it's definitely possible. I think it is definitely possible. I don't think the culture between like Nashville, maybe Raleigh's a little bit different, but like say Nashville and Atlanta. I I don't see the argument on how Nashville can be a, such a success for the NHL. Again, fourth and fourth and 10. It doesn't have the biggest valuation just because it's not the biggest city, but I don't see how you can see Tennessee, which I believe, yeah, borders Atlanta, both very Southern markets. That's about as Southern as you can get besides like Mississippi, Alabama, but they're not putting a team there, obviously. Those are two of the most Southern markets in the entire United States. Nashville was a success. They've had some success from team perspective, not really initially, but like the past decade, they've been a massive success. I don't know how you cannot look at that and say Atlanta can never be successful. I think given another chance in the market and Nashville is like a third of the size of Atlanta. I don't know why people are just shutting down Atlanta as a potential spot. I I, I can see why maybe you would want to go to Quebec city. Quebec city is the safer option, but again, looking at the population difference, 844,000 and mind you, I think Quebec as a whole is like five, 6 million people. And like three to 4 million of that is in Montreal. The market share in the market the marketability in the upward potential of that franchise is just not that big. And overall, looking at Quebec City, I, I know some people really were turned off by the NHL and don't really watch the NHL anymore, but they're all still hockey fans. For the most part, they'll watch some NHL games. They're still in- involved in the league, involved in hockey as a whole. People in the Atlanta, Georgia area, I have family in the Atlanta, Georgia area. They do not care at all because they don't have a team. They're not going to root for Nashville, who's like a three, four hour drive. They don't care at all. So in Quebec City, yeah, you're missing out on like a one million area population in terms of fans. The Georgia Atlanta area is like 10 million, 15 million people in total that just do not care about hockey at all. So in terms of bringing in new fans to the game, Quebec City They love hockey. They're diehard hockey fans. In terms of growing the game, I think going to an Atlanta does have far more upside for the NHL. You look at Seattle, they're already like the 10th highest valued franchise in the entire league and had like top 10 attendance this year. So why can't, well, I guess Seattle's a little bit different than Atlanta, but why can't an Atlanta work on a second go if a Nashville, if a Tampa if a Dallas, if a Carolina have all been decently successful for the league, I'm not going to act like they're the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they have been decently successful. So I don't see why, why you can't go back to Atlanta and at least try. I, I would move Arizona to Atlanta in a heartbeat. I would keep Arizona, but no, I wouldn't keep Arizona, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but let's move on to the next topic. The next topic that we're going to be looking at is great is ranking Every starting goalie in the Western Conference. We are going to be starting. We'll start with one. We'll start with one because you can probably assume who I have at number one in terms of Western starting goalies. 
Number one is UC Soros. Uh, I, this this shouldn't be that controversial, but UC Soros over the past three years has led the entire NHL and expect and goals saved above expected the last three years in total because Sorokin wasn't really playing too much two, three years ago. Same with Shesterkin. He has been a top five goalie each of the last three years. He's posted a 927, then a 918, then a 919. And mind you, the prior, the last two years, they have not been that good of a team in front of him. They've been injured. The defense has not nearly been as good, and he has still posted fantastic results. I think he's better than our number two in Connor Hellebuck. Hellebuck's also fantastic. Hellebuck's six years has been insanely consistent. He's been over a 9-10 every single year. He's been a Vesna finalist three out of those six years. I don't think he should have been last year, but he, he definitely should have been fourth. And last year, he was fourth in the entire NHL with 30.8 expected goals, saved above expected. But you look at him, I think he needs does need to get out of Winnipeg. He just needs to go to a team where he doesn't have to play 65 games a year. And I think he can be even better because you look at him this year, he kind of gassed towards the end of the year. He started out the first two to three months he was kind of the Vesna favorite because Olmark, we were still like, eh, this isn't legit. He's not going to keep this up. But Connor Hellebuck was legit like 927 with uh, 235 in a sick record when the Winnipeg Jets were leading the Central Division. He was the Vesna favorite, but again, he just play, he has so many miles on him. Four out of the last six years, he's led the entire league in saves and games started. So hopefully he ages fine, but I hope he just gets out of Winnipeg for his own sake, so he doesn't have to play so much. Stud goalie, easily my fifth best goalie in the NHL. Moving on, Jake Ottinger. Jake Ottinger, I think the hype is a little bit too high right now. He's a very good goalie. I don't think that he's an elite, elite goalie right now. Last year, he posted a solid 919 and a 2.35, as well as 11.8 goals saved above expected. I keep on flubbing up that word, which was, I believe, 14th in the entire NHL. So his first three years, he's been all above a 910. He's a very good goalie. I don't. We got to see him get to that next gear yet. He obviously helped lead the Dallas Stars to uh, Western Conference Finals. He had a couple bad games, but besides that, overall, he was pretty solid. He's going to be in the Vesna talks this year, I think, just because Dallas is going to be such a good team. Is he actually as good as a Shesterkin, a Soros, uh, a Sorokin? I-, I don't think quite yet, but he's only 24 years old. That's the other thing. I see he's definitely getting overhyped by some people as being like the next great, great American goalie or the next just goalie period in the NHL. I think some of that's ridiculous, but also people are shitting on him and it's like, dude, he's 24 years old and he did just post like a top 10 goalie season. He's going to be very good. Shesterkin and uh, Soros. Shesterkin, Soros, uh, Sorokin weren't even starting at full-time at age 24. Meanwhile, he's playing 62 games a year. He's going to be a stud. Next up, I got Thatcher Demko. Pretty controversial guy. He posted back-to-back seasons of 915 save percentage. Was pretty easily a top 12 goalie, probably top 10, but then he stunk to start this year. Uh, looking at the stats, he posted a 4-10-2 record with an 883 and a 3.75. The Canucks as a whole were brutal. If you remember, they lost their first like nine or 10 games, and he was part of that for sure, but then he got hurt, comes back from injury, down the stretch, he posted a 9-18 and a 2-5-3. I tend to think that he's closer to that goalie that he showed down the stretch of being an elite guy in the 910s versus absolute dog in the 880s. So I think he's closer to that. Maybe I have him a couple spots too high on this, but I'm willing to bet on a bounce back because he has carried pretty bad Vancouver Canucks teams to decent records over the past couple years. He's a stud, no doubt, number one. Philip Gustafson, 
weird, weird guy to rank because on a per game basis, it was either him and Olmark for the best goalie in the entire NHL last year. He posted a 931 and a 2-1-0. I just haven't really seen that track record yet. It was only 39 games. He wasn't that good in Ottawa the prior year. So I think the Minnesota system overall, I'm going to talk about it with another guy that's a lot lower on the list. Minnesota goalies tend to put up good numbers in part just because Minnesota's defensive system is so effective. They have such great defensive defensemen. Their forwards forecheck all the time. Uh, they're 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 just they're just an elite defensive team. So that might have something to do with it. But like a Jake Ottinger, Gustafson's I think still only twenty four years old. So even if he wasn't actually like the second pure game best goalie in the entire league i think going forward he's going to be a very good starter i hope he gets the lion's share of the starts over flurry i could see them for some reason like feeding flurry i think that'd be the wrong call next up alexander georgiev he was he was a guy in the new york rangers that was very inconsistent i i, I watch a decent amount of ranger games just because i'm from the new jersey area but it was either like he balled out had a shutout or like one goal against on like a 950 plus save percentage or he'd get lit the hell up it was really consistency with them he always had the flashes of the talent but obviously the rangers decided to go with Chesterkin. clearly the right call basically told Georgiev to pack his bags and he was very good for the avalanche in his first season I think yeah like a 9-10 very good advanced stats as well it's gonna be interesting to see because we saw Philip Grubauer be a Vesna finalist although he was overrated even in that season and then he left and he wasn't that good or is he a Darcy Kemper that is just a good goalie that got plugged into that Colorado system but can produce without we maybe we won't know until he eventually heads to a different team if that ever happens. So right now I can't put him too high, but the stats are undeniable. He had a great record last year, 62 starts, I think. He like almost led the entire NHL in starts, as well as 919 in good expected goals. I I think I think he is a top 15 goalie right now. You got to give him up that track record. Although Colorado is fantastic, you don't just accidentally start 60 games and put up good numbers like that. Moving on to number seven, Vegmelka. This is a weird one. He posted uh, a nine, an 899 and a 343, but his advanced stats were fantastic. He was just on a horrible Coyotes team. That jersey is sick. I might have to get that, a Cleveland Keller version of that. But uh, he posted fantastic advanced stats. He was like 13th in the entire league and goal saved above expected. He was pretty bad his first year, but again, the Coyotes are just so bad. I think on a better team, he'd be... A good starter. I think he'd be able to post like a 9-14 as well as decent advanced stats. Obviously posted decent advanced stats in Arizona. But I, I think he's an underrated guy that has a track record now and going forward. Arizona should be a good team next year. And I think he's going to take that next step and get that respect. Because Arizona won't be so bad next year. He's not going to be put up like an 899. I could see him put up like a 907 next year. Uh a 3.1, which still isn't that good, but considering Arizona's number one defenseman is like Valamaki, those are pretty good numbers. Next up, Aiden Hill. I'm going to get called recency bias for this, and I, and I understand it because he did have that fantastic salary, uh, sa- salary, I almost said salary cap instead of Stanley Cup. Uh, he had that fantastic Stanley Cup run of a 9.32 and a 2.17, but I, I don't think it's that much recency bias. He has been a very good backup the past couple of years, he has a 913 and a 261, as well as decent advanced stats in terms of the last four years in a backup role. And he's only 26 years old. So I think it, this is just him kind of breaking out. I think next year on a Vegas team, 
he could start 50, 55 games. The problem is Logan Thompson's like almost as good as him, in my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see which one. You, you could probably replace the two, and they're like about the same on this list. But I think Aiden Hill, if you let him run with it, he can give you a 9, a 9-15 full season. I don't think that's ridiculous at all. Maybe even a 9-16, 9-17, just because Vegas is that good, as well as 30 to 30 three wins let's say i think he's really going to surprise some people he's not going to be posting a 932 like he did in the playoffs but i think he's gonna be a solid starter i i know i'm gonna get shit on for that but i'll take it Stuart skinner very solid rookie year posted a 913 and a 275 and had like a three goal saved above expected he's only 24 25 years old so i think he's only gonna progress at this point he's an average to above average starter. I think next year he's going to be an above average starter. Will he get to like a Vesna level? I could see him maybe like being Vesna talks a year or two just because the Edmonton Oilers is such a good team that he wins 37 games one year or 39 games one year and posts a 9-21 and uh, 2-3. Like I could see that, but like in terms of talent, I don't know if he has that kind of talent. He's just in a fantastic spot. But overall, I think he's a solid goalie. He kind of... Shot the bed in the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. That was kind of very disappointing. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let one series versus the Kings and the Knights completely change my opinion on him, especially because he is so young. I think he's only gonna get better. Markstrom, uh, I might get some hate for having Markstrom behind Skinner, but again, Skinner was no doubt better last year and is younger. Who do you think is gonna have the better season next year? I'm gonna go with the younger and guy that was better last year. Markstrom was the Vesna runner-up two years ago, but even I think that was overrated. You look at him from an advanced stats point, goal saved above expected, he was 12th in the entire league. That year, 2022, Freddie, Soros, Vasilevsky, all should have finished ahead of him in the Vesna. He just racked up a bunch of wins and had a good save percentage and good goals against on a pretty loaded Flames team. He was definitely good, don't get me wrong, but I think that 2022 Vesna is a little, Vesna runner-up is a little overrated. People are going to cite this when they say, oh, he's, he's way too low. I don't think he is, but he's still he's still okay. He had an 899 this year, which was 892, which was the worst of his career. He lets up some of the worst goals in the entire league. Like whatever, like what's this, this thing with him? Like the first shot, he like lets up the most first shot in the league goals. Like he needs to just be more consistent. I think he can bounce back, but he is 32 or 33. So his best days are probably behind him. I don't think that's that controversial. The Flames would be lucky to get average to above average starter play out of him they're gonna have to move off that contract once dustin wolf is ready to go but it's gonna be very interesting next up philip grubauer this 11 and 12 is gonna be a little tough for me i honestly don't know who to choose grubauer was absolutely horrendous last year he posted one of the worst like goalie seasons ever in terms of like stats but also uh, Seattle was just a horrible team last year, so I can't really hold it too much against them. The advanced stats are bad, but when, when you start so bad on such a bad team, you're not going to like rally the rest of the way. This year, again, he didn't have the best regular stats. They were pretty below average, but <coughs> he did post a negative .7 goal saved above expected, so he was about average during the regular season. And then he was massive in terms of the playoffs for them in that first round against Colorado. He really stood on his head. He was very good in the first couple of games against Dallas. He did get lit up in the final three games. But I think going forward, you can rely on him to be an okay average starting goalie, which stinks because they still have like four more years at $6 million, 5.9 that they're paying him. But I think Grubauer, 
he wasn't a Vezina, when he was a Vezina finals in Colorado, that was absolute BS, but he's not as bad as he was the pre, like the following year, first year in Seattle. I think he's somewhere in the middle there of like the 21st or 22nd best starting goalie in the entire league. I think that's about fair. Next up is, is, uh, Oh my God, we got Gibson. Next up, we got Gibson. Weird guy, man. I think he is overrated just because of what he did in prior years. I don't think that he's horrendous. If you go off just what he did in the last four years, he has consistently been bad. He's posted an average like negative 12 goals saved of expected in the past four years. He has not had a single good year. And it is in part because the Ducks are a bad team. But you look at this guy, he's not the player that he used to be. And sometimes that happens with these goalies that start off so hot when they're young. The mileage just starts to rack up. It's what I hope doesn't happen with Connor Hellebuck. But he started out fantastic. And also because the Ducks did have a very good defense core back then. But he started out when they had Manson, Lindholm, Fowler. They were loaded. But um, yeah, the mile is finally caught up to him. Can he be an okay starter this year or okay starter if he got traded? I think it's possible. But the days of him being in Vesna talks like 2017, 2018, I think that's well done, well, well gone. Still... I, I can't, if you just, if you blind resume him the last four years, he, he would have a case to be like 15 or 16. I'm going to somewhat respect him just because of what he's done prior. Maybe he can find that gear, but as of right now, I don't know. Number 13, Phoenix Copley. An okay 1B. It, it is a little scary that LA is heading into the season probably as him as their 1A. Uh, Cam Talbot's up there too, but we'll see how, we'll see which who gets a starting job. I put Copley just because he was a decent starter last year. He posted a 9-0-3 with a 2-6-3. So those are okay, like not not ideal. They're okay by today's standards. I think the average save percentage is like 9-0-6. He's okay. It, it's, it's nothing special, but if he can give them like a 9-0-8, that'll be a very solid year for him. I, he's definitely like probably like the 30th best goalie in hockey i'd say it's there, there's a lot of backups there's a couple backups that are better than him it's not it's not good for la bennington number 14 he had a 901 and a 313 last year when the blues were like a 110 point team he still sucked then this year he absolutely falls off a cliff with an 894 and a 331 it, it, it just it's just been a steady decline to the point and given his attitude given how he's just like a psychopath. I don't think he's going to turn it around. It has been rookie year, fantastic. Then like above average starter, then average, then the past two years, bad, bad, bad. I I, I don't think he's going to turn it around. I would say I hope he turns it around, but he's such an unlikable guy that I really don't. Um, Yeah. Not cool. <laughs> Not a cool guy. Capo Kakinen, weird, weird goalie. He's still pretty young. He was very good in Minneapolis or Minneapolis, Minnesota in uh, San Jose two seasons ago. He had a 912 save percentage as well as like decent advanced stats. Then he has a full year in San Jose this year and absolutely stinks. He had an 883 and a 3.85, which was the worst numbers among among a starter besides like Elvis Merzlikens, who was god awful this year. So he was among the guys that started like over 35 games last year. He's probably the worst goalie in the entire NHL him or Elvis. So I think maybe he can turn around. Definitely that was impacted because he was on LA who was horrendous last year. But going back to Gustafson, how I mentioned the Minneapolis, Minnesota, why am I saying Minneapolis? Going back to the Minnesota goalies, I think there might be something too. Like you see how when the Carolina goalies leave their system, they kind of fall off. 
I think we might be seeing something like that with Minnesota when their goalies when their goalies come in, they look very good. Then once they leave, they're not very good. So when looking at Kakinen, can he pull it around, turn it around? It's possible. He could be a half decent. His his regular stats are going to suck this year just because San Jose Sharks suck. Him and Mackenzie Blackwood will probably have to play a ton of games, but he's still young enough where I maybe could see him turn around. A guy that is in dead last, 16th, that I can't really see turning around is Petr Mrazek. This year, 894, 3.66. He was better than Kakinen last year, but at age 31 on a horrible Chicago Blackhawks team, I, I just can't see him turn it around. Kakinen and I at least have some upside. I think Mrazek, or you can go with Soderbloom, but I still think he's young and his stats were also pretty bad at the NHL level. I think Mrazek is, is slated to get absolutely slaughtered with shots on net this year on a bad Chicago team. It just... We could be talking like 885 and like a 3.9. It's like somehow even worse than last year. It's going to be very interesting. Chicago's going to have to find their goalie of the future eventually. Not right now. But yeah, overall, this is the full list. Soros, Hellebuck, Ottinger, Demko, Gustafsson, Georgiev, Vegmelka, Hill, Skinner, Markstrom, Grubauer, Gibson, Copley, Copley, Bennington, Kakinen, Mrazek. But yeah, that's the show. Um, pre-recorded. We went for like 41 minutes. Jesus. Next episode, hopefully we'll be guests. No, hopefully we'll be an interview at the end. I'll probably do like 20 to 25 on like the news topics and then dive into the interview. And then going forward, hopefully some guests. Feel free to DM me what guests, what interviews you want to see. If you got any NHL connections, want to hit me up, set up an interview. Greatly appreciated. But yeah, thank you guys so much. We clipping this up, putting all these clips out, just pumping out content. Want to give you guys the best possible content. Love you guys. Adios. See you for episode five.